Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Run for the Song Podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Dane Campbell, and this is Drum for the Song podcast. Today, my special guest is Adam Breeze of Raveneye and new band Taurus. How is it going, Adam? Hello, mate. I'm very excited. I'm nervous because I've listened to a lot of these episodes, a lot of these podcasts of you know yourself before. So uh, I'm excited. It's going to be good. It'll be good. Well, first of all, thank you for listening. Probably one of the only people that has actually listened to a few shows before you've been on. Nah, maybe not, but um, no, nah, you know, research as well, mate. Don't worry. No, I appreciate that. That's really kind of you. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, it was it was finally great to very briefly meet you at the Steelhouse Festival the other day. Um, it's a shame we didn't really kind of find longer to kind of catch up. But you know, you were busy packing away. And then I had to kind of go and warm up and stuff. And but yeah, it was it was cool to get watch you play live because I've seen a lot of your footage online and your social media. So to see you smash the hell out of the kit live was cool. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's been a long time coming. It's, it, it is weird because I've said this to a lot, you know, a lot of guys that over the pandemic um, that you kind of meet online and you go, oh, you know, are we allowed to swear in this podcast? Yeah. I was like, oh shit! Like I didn't realize you paid for that bad, blah, blah blah blah. And then you know, the, that was Steelhouse was the first Raven Eye show we've done in a long time. Um, so I was like, oh, like Dane's going to be there. So you know, I've made sure to kind of connect up with you. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's cool to finally meet in person and check check out. Uh, it was funny because when I was setting up my kit, I was like, who's who's that kit? Who's is that kit over there? I was like having a little little <laughs> note. And I saw your new uh, your your new Sony kit, and I thought it was a Gretsch, and I was like, it looks so much like a Gretsch. And I was like, oh my, God. I was checking everything out. So sorry about that, mate. But I was uh, I was kind of creaming over your kit a bit. So yeah. uh, thanks very much. No, thanks. It's nice for people to cream over it because <laughs> not literally, but I was just yeah, yeah. That would be a bit weird. That would be a bit weird. But no, it was it was cool. It was the first time I'd played it live. I've only used it in the studio, like literally less than a handful of times so it was nice to actually play it um and just i it kind of i was hoping it was going to do what i wanted it to do and i was hoping it was going to be worth the purchase from what i was using before and i think yeah i think it works for me man and just the slightly shallower bass drum because i was using a 24 by uh, 17 and a half and that's a 20 oh, wow that, that's a 24 by 14 yeah. so it's kind of is it you know a little <laughs> Less, slightly less boomy, more of a thud kind of. It works with rock more, that's I suppose. A weird, that's a weird size, twenty-four by seventeen and a half. That's like because I, I I'm used to twenty twenty-four by fourteen. That was my old Mapex kit, and now my new one's twenty-six by sixteen. Nice. But you do know you do notice on the length the length sides you, you you've got to you got to really kick a bit more to get that air moving. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like. 14 it's nice it's a nice it's a nice step yeah i think it's perfect and for when you're playing like kind of like the, like you mentioned the faster stuff sometimes you you can't if you're playing like a double stroke you can't really use the velocity that you would like to on a single stroke so it's quite it, it makes a difference for me anyway so 
yeah, it's cool. And I'm glad you like the look of it. And a lot of people told me it sounded nice. And the, my little GoPro video sounded all right, considering it was a GoPro. So yeah, for anyone listening, there's stuff on YouTube if you want to check that out. But um, yeah, let's go talking about you, really. Um, we'll we'll talk about your new Mapex kit later, because that's cream-worthy as well. Oh, wait, not that one. Not that one. That one there. It's a nice. bit of a mess because I just got back from rehearsals. But so the shell, the shells are in here. So we can talk anyway. We can talk about drum geekery later. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But yeah. So how did you start playing the drums? Like, how old were you, and how did you get into it and stuff? Um, I was kind of a late bloomer to drums, to be honest. I was probably thirteen, I think, when I when I decided like I want to be a drummer. Um. When I was really young, I started playing on like Guitar Hero and like Rock Band, all those, you know, those games that were around. So I started getting my sense of like rhythm from that. And then I think I went to Reading Festival to, I can't remember what year it was. Foo Fighters were headlining. And that was the first time I kind of saw them. And that was on the Wasting Light tour. And I saw Taylor Hawkins, saw Taylor Hawkins and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, man, he's a beast. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with my life. Um, uh, sorry. Every time I go on one, like a podcast like this, everyone tries to call me. <laughs> that's all right, that's man. Why, so that's, good. Why just, that's why I just froze. Um, yeah, so I saw I saw those guys. I mean, I mean, I've I've grown up with Nirvana and stuff, but that was the first show that I saw that I kind of went, okay, I want to do that kind of thing. Um, and then ever since then, I've, I just, I got, I got my first kit when I was like 14 and I played in all the school bands as well. I played in like, I pl- just played in every band I could at school, jazz band, funk band, rock band, whatever band. Um, and just tried to had a few lessons and tried to learn the craft of it, but, um, got my first kit and the shed that I'm in now, it looked a lot different when I was younger. It's kind of like built for 12 year old me. So I can't really stand up in it, but <laughs> it, uh, it used to look a lot different without all the acoustic treatment. It was just, it's just a shed that my, me and my dad built when I was younger, just as like kind of like a play shed thing. Um, and now it's where all the, all the kit lives and stuff. So yeah, it, I mean, my first ever kit, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a, I think it was a Pearl export. Ah, oh, classic. Sorry, Maybeck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it was like a red Pearl export. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I kind of just, just just went for it and I, I i didn't really look back on anything but yeah i guess i guess i was like 13 and and that show was like whoa okay that's pretty cool man going to reading when you're that age i know it yeah. happens but like I'm, i imagine it inspires well the kids like yourself teenagers like yourself amazingly um well so yeah that's a great example and i i noticed you you play a bit of guitar as well right because i've seen videos of you playing guitar and singing yeah did did you get into guitar after the drums or did you already play or what was the deal Uh, i mean so i learned like classical acoustic guitar when i was very young at primary school that was before drums but it it wasn't like i wasn't going into it learning like like all of that stuff i I was just playing like free blind mice and stuff like that and i never really like took on to it but when I basically started singing and playing. I've always been singing, but playing acoustic. Um, I I think it's a lot easier to get 
like acoustic and singing shows in London and stuff in bars than it is getting drumming gigs. And that sounds stupid, but like I started going to this bar called Slim Jim's Liquor Store in London and they started doing like acoustic nights there. And I was like, I wonder if I could just come down and do something like just play ACDC or whatever. And I did it and it went down a storm. So after that, I was like, right, I'm going to see if I can get my chops up on the guitar and um, and my vocals as well, because the, the second Raven Eye album, I'm all over that on vocals and BVs and stuff. And um, I wanted to try and, you know, some of my favorite drummers, uh, singing drummers, you know, um, Phil Collins, et cetera, or Taylor Hawkins, Dave, yeah. or whatever. So I was like, well, I don't want to just be like a drummer, drummer. I, I want to be able to be a musician and, and know how to write a song and know what key changes are, blah, 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 and know what harmony should go over that lead line, etc. So, yeah, I decided that I should kind of, you know, up my game on that side of the park. And it's, it's, it's helped so much with my playing because when I hear guitarists play riffs and bass players, I'm just like, ah, okay, I know what goes with that because this is what I would play if I was playing the guitar kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I do it as much as I can. It's, it's another kind of, you know, hobby, I guess, another outlet of my musical adventure, I guess. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I know what you mean about, like I dabble with guitar and bass and stuff. I'm not much of a singer, sadly. It's one thing I wish I really could do. And I think with, I can sing in tune, but I can only sing really low. And I just think the sound of my singing voice isn't, you know, pleasurable to anyone. So I think it's just one thing I've had to kind of sack off. Um, I dabbled with BVs in bands and they've always been like, no, nah, I, th- I think we're all right without you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at first, at first, at first I, I hated the sound. Of, I mean, I still hate the sound of my own voice, but I really was just like, right, I want to make sure that I can yeah. kind of, you know, set, be in key. But like, dude, like you should, you should keep at it because I think it's, it's always, it's always worth having in your back pocket, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I, I sing in the car and sometimes me and my wife, we have a little sing along and stuff like that, which is nice. But, you know, I, I've never really thought, I did in school a little bit and I, I just don't think it was great. I remember playing piano and singing in school once and it wasn't the best experience and I worked really hard at it. It didn't go very well. I kind of, in oh, my, no. the, it was a funny story in the, cause I was practicing on a keyboard in my house. I, I didn't think about the, the actual fact that I'd be singing into a microphone at the actual concert. And when the concert came around, I was on a digital piano and there was like a mic on a boom stand or whatever. And I didn't even think about where to position the mic. And I positioned it up there so I couldn't look down at what I was playing. And it was, oh, it was awful. But that was just an experience. And I guess if I did it again, I'd know how, you know, I, I would even think about that. I didn't think about that. But um, anyway, yeah, that's, you know, I'm not, I can't oh. really, I'd, you know, I'd, again, I'd love to play, be able to do a solo gig with an acoustic guitar and vocals because that's, you know, it's good, quite good money in that kind of stuff compared to, going out in a three-piece cover band or a four-piece cover band playing drums, you can kind of get, well, from what I've been told. I mean, it's, that's, it's, it's great. I mean, you could, I, I know, I know people who make a killing doing, just doing that, you know, yeah, every absolutely. week. Um, but yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, each of their own. It's great I, to play I, original I, I, music. I know where my heart lies, which is in hitting things, so. Yeah. Don't worry, folks, there won't be a fucking Adam Breeze solo album. Don't worry. Maybe. Oh, don't say never say never. That would actually be good, man. You could play every instrument. It'd be cool. Yeah, I could do. I could try. I mean, I'm not I'm not great at bass, but 
you don't need to be amazing at bass to play bass, right? Hell no. no. No, especially if it's kind of fairly rock influence. It doesn't really need to be crazy on the bass, man. But like, man, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. And um, yeah, you play the drums really well. Um, I've been very impressed with everything I've seen. Oh, like- um, haven't heard a lot of your recorded stuff yet, but I'm looking forward to obviously the new up and coming Raven Eye album. Are there, do you have a release date or anything like that for it yet? Or is it kind of watch the space? We we have a date that's kind of floating around, which is, I want to say, like, I don't know, I'll fuck it, I'll say it, like winter time this year. That's cool. So we're trying, we're trying to, we're trying to create like um, an event for it because we haven't released an album in a long time because we just haven't had the time, not the time, we just haven't had the right moment to do it. Trying to create like kind of a launch event. So keep your eyes peeled for that because we're trying to create something really really fucking cool and we've done like listening parties before but we want to create something for this release that's like really special for fans to come along to so yeah i mean it's it, dude it's been a long time coming and i know i know like if there's raven eye fans listening to this i know you guys have been so patient like everyone's been so patient for it because everyone's like when is it blah, blah, blah. um but we just haven't had the right time to do it as as you know yourself and a lot of other guys being a touring rock band you just and especially for us because i think we we normally win fans over when we play live instead of like here's a cd fucking listen to a record like we need to play live to kind of show people what we're all about and that that makes people kind of go oh okay i get it so for us we need to tour and obviously over the last two years three years it's been a bit fucking difficult to do that and it's probably going to be difficult for the next couple of years but um you know we gotta you gotta do it sometime so absolutely man and yeah i can see from watching you live it and i've listened to the record i know you're not on the record but um watching you live especially in that kind of three-piece power i call them blues power trio kind of rock band i used to be in one myself um we called the mojo sinners we didn't do a lot but um we would have been a perfect kind of band to play with you guys i'll I'll send you a link at some point um but yeah, I'm not, not in them anymore, so it doesn't really matter. Damn, but, uh, it. damn it, I know. But yeah, I can I, I I see, you know, you need to experience it live. You need to kind of see the the you know the the guitar playing and the actual improvisation aspect of the live show and stuff. And yeah, it's it's just it's just so powerful, man. And yeah, Thanks. I can I can imagine. And while we're on the topic, you've obviously had some fantastic touring experiences so far. You've had some great support slots and, and festivals, I imagine, as well. So do you want to tell us about some of your favorite career highlights so far? Let me get my list out. No, um, I mean, it, it's been ever since I joined Raveline, which is probably about four or five years ago, it's just been a whirlwind ever since I joined. I remember when I joined and the first thing the guy said to me, was like, right, bearing in mind, I'd only been before Rave and I had been in like UK touring bands. I haven't gone really abroad that much. And they were like, right, pack your bags. We're going to Argentina, Brazil. And we're, we're playing alongside like Disturbed, Marilyn Manson, Bullet, like all these bands that I grew up listening to. And my mind just exploded. I was like, <laughs> hey, are you fucking kidding me? So, yeah, I mean, you know, you get get to the hotel and you get in a lift, get in a lift or an elevator. Uh, and uh, RJ Hale walks in from Hailstorm and, and, and John Fred Young from Blackstone Cherry walks in and like, 
you know, the guys kind of knew them before because they toured with Hailstorm and he's like, hey, how's it going, man? And Ollie's like, all right, mate, this is this is our new drummer, Adam. And I'm standing there like, "Mm, I've got a picture of you on my wall, mate, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to say that in front of you. Um, And he's like, oh, how's it going? And then I remember that night they came down to the bar. They came up to me and they're like, oh, yeah. So we checked out your Instagram and like, you're a fucking great drummer. Like, we've learned so much of you, like learned so much from you. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is <laughs> not real. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, the tour, the main highlight probably for me with, with Ravenite at the moment, of, you know, was, was the Kiss tour. And that was 14 dates around Europe with Kiss as Amazing. a direct, you know, direct support. There wasn't any other guys on it apart from local bands. So, you know, that was just, the thing is, Ravenite, what a lot of people, do, I'm sure it's the same with most bands, everything's so quick to happen. It's like you could be doing, you could be mowing the lawn one day, and then the next day, someone phone, like Ollie phones you and goes, Oh, by the way, you know that Kiss tour that we said we might get? We've got it. <laughs> and I, I was just like, Great. Okay. This must be a joke. But, and, you know, so that tour, when you hear 40,000 people, like you know cheer you hear it in video games and stuff or whatever or actually guitar hero for example but then when you hear it in real life it like actually hurts it's it's so i remember the first show we did was in moscow in russia and it that was the largest show we did that was forty thousand people and it was like you walk on stage and it was like fake if it felt fake in the best way possible it was just like a dream world um so yeah that that was an experience man that was crazy and and the stuff we learned from that show as a band or that tour as a band was just like tenfold because we went into that absolute shit in our pants going right we need to create the set list that would be like a headline set list and we need to be this arena band but it didn't work on the first show and we were like why isn't it working so we just went right as cheesy as it sounds screw the fucking set list let's just go out there and play like we're playing to 200 people like we normally do um and we did that and it it just kicked off ever since then it was just like okay i get it now i it i get it that you know you need to make that arena feel like it's 100 people and make sure the people at the back feel the same as people and, and it and that's the attitude we had for the rest of the tour and that's the attitude that we had that we have forever now you know it's just that thing of just like it doesn't matter how many people you're playing to just just play like it's your last fucking show on earth and people respect that and i I know people say that but it's true and it works that's really interesting actually man and when you say you made changes to the set list do you mean that do you mean you actually change the songs or the way you put those songs across with regards to kind of like how you you know link things and interaction with the audience what do you mean by that It it was me it was mainly like the vibe of we didn't really change the song we took a few out there like yeah that won't work but it was mainly the kind of the way we approached it instead of going out there with like hello we are raven eye you know putting on an act almost it was like let's just go out there be ourselves and do what we do and if people don't like it then fuck it and we did that and that was the attitude that everyone kind of dug and that has always been our kind of not motto but what we've always kind of don't get me wrong i love freddie mercury i love david bowie like 
I love all those characters that are like out of this world when they go on stage, but I don't think we've ever been that band to go on and be like, hello, like, hmm. yeah, keep it same as you guys, just, just keep it real and keep it connected on a human level. So everyone else feels like you could just like have a beer with everyone, I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's but, cool, man. Yeah. yeah and I, I think like, my band probably have a similar approach with regards to if we're supporting or headlining, we kind of treat the gig the same way. I think sometimes, I guess our band is fairly unique because we do the odd cover of like my dad's old band. So some songs are like heavier than others and some are more bluesy or whatever. So it depends on who we're playing with or what kind of festival it is. Sometimes we make adjustments to the set list. So that's actual songs, but generally we, the way we, perform and everything is the same so yeah that's interesting man and how early on in your career with raven i was that tour just so i can get an idea in my head was that quite early on i mean i joined in late 2016 and that tour was mid 2017 i think right so so it was pretty it was pretty quick um i think the only the only tours we did before that was like the Nova release run of the UK, like album run, and then like a few festivals. So it was pretty fresh doors for me. I was kind of just like, "Well, are you kidding me?" Um, it's mental, man. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, ever since that tour, it's kind of propelled us onto other tours that have been amazing. Like we supported Bush and Hell Yeah, and loads of other really cool bands that have taken us all over the world. So you know, and. The thing is, with a band so massive as Kiss, there was, I think there was about 100 crew. And we decided we're going to learn the names of every single person on that crew before the tour's out because they're the people, you know, Kiss are great, but they're the people who are going to be helping us. And, and, and they, you know, they're amazing. Everyone was so kind. And, you know, my snare drum, like, fucking exploded on one of the gigs. One of the log boxes came off and I Ooh. didn't have, like, a decent spare. So I asked. I was really scared and I was like, I need to, I need a snare drum. There wasn't any music shop. So I was like, oh, there's the, you know, Eric, Eric's tech over there. Fuck, <laughs> fuck it. I'm just going to go ask him for a snare drum. So I went up to him, hey man, I'm, I'm in support band. And he was like, oh, you guys kick ass. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So like off on the right foot. And I just said, I know this is a really big ask, but is it possible to borrow a snare drum for the set? And he was like, yeah, which one do you want? He has about 20. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, whatever. And he was like, hey, have this one, you know, have this one. It weighs about, you know, how fucking, how many pounds it was. I was like, yeah, cheers, mate. Okay, thanks very much. So, you know, and they did, the crew did the screens for us every night, the cameras, they worked the cameras, they did the lighting for us, they did the backdrop TV shit. They didn't have to do any of that. And that was a massive relief for us because we didn't, we didn't expect any of that kind of kindness. You know, I've been told before, and it's true that as a support band, you're, you're the backing music for people to buy merch. And it's true. You know, it's like, it sounds bad, but when you're on a tour that big, you expect to just, you, you just want to be ghosts because no one gives a fuck who you are. Like, why, you know, why should they? It's fucking kiss. People are here to see kiss. But the fact that we got that kind of all-star treatment and everyone was so kind, including kiss, like Paul Stanley came into our dressing room and was like, hey guys, like, you know, fist bumped. Everyone said like, doing great blah, blah blah so it's just refreshing to go on a tour like that with such a massive band and they be like <clears throat> you know so humble humble back to you and you're just kids you know so 
yeah, massive, massive learning curve in my playing. Like I, I, my playing was just like here and it just went to another level after that tour. Cause I was just so more confident on stage because I'd played in front of that many people. I was just like, okay, whatever, stick me in front of fucking 200,000. I, I don't care. Like just bigger, the better. And that, that really kind of made made us rise to the occasion. Um, but yeah, crazy, crazy shit. Yeah, that's a great story, man. And when you say about the crew and the fact that they were really great to you, and I think that's with some of the big, I think it can go either way. Sometimes the really big bands as a support act, you can sometimes be treated fairly badly by the crew or sometimes they'll, treat you amazingly and it sounded like you had a great experience there um i've i've been on the receiving end of kind of both both ways and it's it's hard because the crew i would obviously the band members i guess are the most most important people but the crew make the show happen and you've got a th- and most of your interactions as a support band are with the crew as opposed to being directly with a band so it's great to keep them sweet but sometimes if you immediately get negative vibes kind of like from the get-go, it can be really tough. And, and I, we've had that and it's really difficult to overcome, even if you're really friendly with a band. Yeah. And if, if someone in the crew or most of the crew are kind of making it difficult for you, that can be, yeah. that can be tough. So yeah, that's great to know. And, you know, I'd bloody love to support Kiss one day. That would be fantastic. So if I ever get the opportunity and it's like, no, the crew will hopefully be cool. So, yeah. uh, and, and we've had we've had you know we've had it before where you know the crew are a bit iffy and stuff but i think so long as so long as you, you know you guys are professional and you stick to the times you're never late blah, 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 blah you don't leave any shit on stage there's no reason for them to hate like to be like man like man yeah. like be because you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing so we've always had that etiquette of just like make sure you're invisible until someone says well you know well done or whatever like you know just make sure that your head's down um until you are playing those sorts of arena shows you know where you could do that shit i think that's a great tip for like anyone who's in a band today listening maybe and you're you're at the stage where you are getting offered these support slots i think that's when you said they're trying being as as invisible as possible i think that is a good tip like load don't load in until someone says it's okay for you to load in don't and you know always ask oh where where's the best place to put our gear someone will direct you um am i okay to start setting up my kit on my rug now or whatever you know wait wait until you know they say it's cool don't hit any fucking drums do not do that shit (laughs) do not make any noise yeah i've learned the hard way on that fucking hell yeah, don't 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 hit anything. Don't tune anything. Try and do as much of that as home or in the practice room before the tour or before the gig. I know it. it I know it. It sometimes isn't easy, um, no. but you you've got to think. This band are on tour. Um, they they're trying to do their thing. They've got a limited time. They want to do it in. You know, they want to. You know, they don't want anyone to kind of disrupt that. Um, and and likewise, once they finish sound checking, wait. Don't just start lugging stuff up to the stage. Wait until someone invites you and says, come on, guys, your turn now or whatever. Yeah. Always ask, you know, is this, is this okay? Um, you know, and I, I guess 
any guitarist, I know, you know, a lot of people who don't play drums listen to this as well. Likewise with the guitar stuff, um, just check, is this okay for my amp? Um, I would never, I would never request that you ask the headline band to move anything unless, unless it's completely impossible for you to play without them doing so. And even so try it because the techs that are in charge of all their gear are the ones working their, their asses off all day. So the, the, the easier that they can make their he- headline slot go, the, oh, less, yeah. the less they can move, you know, they don't want to move anything. So try and avoid even asking the question, unless you think it's impossible for you to do the show and then, you know, see what happens, but tr- just try and live with it. If it's a pedal board in f- exactly where you want to put your pedal board, just, just, if they want to leave it there, you know, they want to leave it there. So, and you know, be, I think you'll be way better off on the rest of that tour. If you go in with that attitude, then going, oh, I'm going to move this here. There, there. And yeah. then, you know, the rest of your days on that tour are just numbered because the crew will just be like, these guys are dicks. They're yeah. turning up. And I get it. Like, I understand you don't want to be treated like shit. You're there, to, you know, you're there to, to perform blah, blah, blah. but at the same time you've got to respect the fact that you know you're on this person's tour whoever it is whoever it is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what size it is we you know we've had support bands before that have been awful and in terms of like you know loading in and just like chucking our gear everywhere and stuff and you know we're not a massive band but at the same time it's it's still just being a human being about something and being respectful and saying hey man do you mind if do you mind if I drink all your fucking beer on your right? <laughs> well, that's another thing. Yeah. We talked about this on the episode I just released with Aria from Skindred. Oh, yeah, we yeah. talked about kind of like backstage etiquette and stuff. I think we were talking more about guests and, you know, people mm. on the guest list and stuff. But it's the same with support bands. If, if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to, you know, get a rider that's specifically yours, that's great. If you don't, and maybe the headline band might say, oh, you know, grab a beer, boys. Don't take a piss. <laughs> and, and, and things like that. Or if, if you're lucky enough to be doing a gig in this catering or food involved or whatever, you know, always kind of wait until someone says, go on, guys, go and grab yourself something. I, you know, I, I, like I mentioned earlier with the crew, the crew, the ones working their asses off all day, you want to make sure there's stuff for them, you know, before the show, after the show, whenever they want to eat. And, Likewise with alcohol, you know, not everyone drinks alcohol, but like if someone says, oh, grab a beer, guys, don't, don't grab them all or keep grabbing them or, of course. And then um, I actually had um, one of my listeners, his name is Adam as well. He actually sent me a voice message this morning, listening to that. Uh, hello, Adam, if you're listening, I'm sure you are at some point. Yeah, um, yeah he was um, telling me about one of his old bands that, that he was in and, um, the singer was uh, the band were in that situation. They were supporting someone. I won't say who it is or the name of the band or anything, but the, the singer, they invited backstage and they said, Oh, grab a beer or grab a drink. And the singer took a bottle of wine and um realized, you know, it was probably like take a beer or whatever. And apparently that kind of caused a bit of a uproar with the, the band that were headlining and stuff like that. And it, it kind of ruined the relationship going forward. So, yeah. you know, things that might seem like an innocent, Act yeah. might might cause your band, you know, you might ruin your band's career by doing little things like that. That might seem like just fun rock and roll things at the time, but you know, I don't know. This is all advice, and I think it is important because 
it's not just about playing in a band or playing the drums or playing whatever instrument you're playing. All these little things help you progress in, in your career. Um, if you want to try and start a career and it is really important. And, you know, myself and yourself have been, we've been headliners, we've been support slots, we've done big venues, small venues. Um, so we hopefully you've got a decent idea of what there- we're doing. <laughs> all the same mate it doesn't matter where you're playing and it doesn't matter what band you're playing with or if you're a headliner it's all there's no i know a lot of people have said it before but there isn't any room in this industry anymore for like rock and roll bullshit because you know there's another band around the corner that can do the exact same shit as you and they'll be a lot nicer backstage like we had a band support us a a long time ago and i won't say who it is but we had a case of beers for us as a headline act we said, right, we're going to say, we don't drink before shows. So we went, right, okay, we're going to save some beers for ourselves after the show. So we took some beers out of the crate and we put it like in our bags and stuff. We got back to the dressing room. That was a shared dressing room. And all of the beers had gone from the case and all of the beers in our bags had also gone. That's so insane. We were like, That's we were insane. Like, That's stealing. <laughs> okay, thank fuck my laptop's still there. Like, where's the the beer fairies been? Like, what? Like, I. It was really fucking weird, and we just called them out straight away and just went, "What? Like, what the fuck was that about?" And they were gone. They were like, they were. They, and and as well, I mean, I get it with support bands. If you need to load out and you need to go to a long drive, blah blah blah. I get it. If you can stay and watch the show, amazing. If you physically can't, then I get it. But there's a lot of bands that do that where they'll just support they support you or whatever and then they'll just fuck off. Load the gear out and go. Don't even they don't even like come say hi, which is to me is really weird because it's like we, you know, whoever it is had booked you on that show for a reason. It's not just doing it for fucking lols. It's like we like your music, but we're all we're all in the same boat. And it's really weird when people do that and they just go, Okay, see ya. And by the way, I did see some of the show at Steelhouse saying this, defending myself now, but we did we did have a four-hour drive back. So oh, yeah. I, I get, it sounded fucking great. Thank you. I completely understand. When you have to go in, logistics don't allow you to stay. Obviously, I, I totally understand. But when if you're playing you know, a club and there's a local support band and they're from 20 minutes down the road and they just play and then leave and go out on the piss or whatever, I always think that's... Especially, I think it hurts even more at, at, at the smaller levels when, you know, there might be 50 people in the crowd and then the, the yeah. support band and their mates make up like 10, 10 of the people and then they leave. It makes a big difference to like that, that kind of level. And I've see, I see that all the time. And, and I, I think the promoters note this as well. That's one thing I'll, I'll say. So the promoters are the guys getting you these shows. And, but they, you know, they want you to stick around to help the vibe of the show to make it look like it's sold better and things like that. You know, if and you're getting your mates on the guest list for free and then you all bugger off to go to like the pub next door because the beer is cheaper or something, or, you know, it, it happens a lot from where I'm from. And, you know, I, I try and stick around and watch, watch the bands and, you know, I don't know. It's things like this, I think are obvious, but I think there's so many people that. No, I know. I think, I think people just, yeah, you just need to think before you do something most of the time, really. Just, just like go, okay, if I was in that position, what, yeah. what would you want or whatever? But, you know, it's all swings and roundabouts. So if, if it's all different situations, but, you know. Of course, yeah. You know, in situations where you 
you've driven four hours for a festival to South Wales, for example. You, you've, you know, you've got a full back line or whatever with you. I don't, I don't know what you had, but um, yeah, do the show, stick around for a bit, and then I did. You know, you want to get back the same night because there's no hotels in Abu Vale. <laughs> we wanted, we did want to stay. We did want to stay, um, but we were just too slow for getting tents and all that shit. So, yeah, um, I think, I think you were. I think it was a big storm that night. So I think you're glad you didn't stay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't have wanted to stay that night by the sound of it. <laughs> Crazy man. That's no, cool. I'm glad we had this conversation um, because it's not something I've really talked about a lot on the podcast, but I think it is re- super, super important for any, any musicians out of this. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Drum for the Song. I just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my Patreon page which is a place where you can support the podcast and, of course, support myself. You can um, sign up to one of the three tiers on there. There's one that's £3 a month, one that is £5 a month, and one that is £10 a month. There are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up, including bonus episodes, merch discounts, Christmas card for myself, um, if you sign up to the top tier, I'll send you a pair of my drumsticks um, loads of other stuff. So go check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. And um, another way you could support me if you're interested, if you're not bothered about the Patreon thing, if you go to my official website, drumforthesong.com, you can send a donation via PayPal. So, um, yeah, thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show. Run for the song podcast. I should rewind a little bit back. So you you joined Rave and I. They already had a is there an EP and an album out. Yeah. Did you have to audition? How did they discover you? How did you feel about kind of learning the parts of the previous drummer? Or did you kind of make the songs your own? How did you kind of approach that aspect of it? Because that's quite fairly, yeah. you know, fairly unique, I suppose. I mean, so with the audition process, it's funny because so. Ollie, Aaron, and uh, Ken, who was the drummer before me, they used to do uh, jam nights everywhere across the UK for a bit of cash when they're not they weren't touring. So I was in another band at the time, but they and I was a fan of Raven Eye, and it was like Raven Eye doing a jam night in Hemel Hempstead at this fucking bar, and I was like, oh my god, that's amazing! I'm going to go down because I had them all on Facebook and stuff, and I almost you know almost like you, I had you on social media, but I've never met you. So I was like, I'm going to go meet them. So I went down and they were like, hey man, how's it going? Do you want to get up for a song? I was like, yeah, I've got up for a song. I think we played Learn to Fly or something. And um, Aaron and Ollie were like, oh, that was really cool, man. Thanks. Like, like, come again or whatever. And then I basically just kept showing up and was like, hey guys, like at the back. And they're like, oh, fucking hell, it's him again. <laughs> um, I got, you know, kept, kept playing with them, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, let's go, you know, let's go for a, a meal. Let's go for a beer. And then I got to know them a bit more personally. And then I think it was like a year after that or two years after that, I got a call um, from Ollie. And he was just like, just to let you know, this is what's going on. Um, you know, do you, you know, we need a drummer, basically. And I was like, well, I'm in a band, but I'm going to fucking quit that band because I'm not going to let anyone else be your drummer, basically. <laughs> And he went, he went, he went, all right, fine. And he sent me Nova, the the debut. He sent me that and he went, there you go. Here's all the songs, learn that and we'll set up an audition. 
I was like, right, okay, it's on. So I, yeah, I spent like two months up here learning the, the record and, you know, at that time I was kind of naive to learning parts. So I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just fucking learn it and I'll add my own shit. Little did I know after when I got the gig that it was, it was hammered into me that was basically like learn the fucking record and then add your own stuff. But anyway, so I went to the audition and there was, uh, I think there was four or five other drummers lined up and I was the first guy. So I was like, right, set the fucking bar. Um, and they they were like, can we record it? Can we film it? I was like, yeah, no worries. And Ollie's actually got the audition tape, funnily enough. He found it the other day. Oh, cool. Uh, which is fun. But yeah, so did the audition. I thought it went awful. I didn't hear anything for a couple of days. And I was like, nah, I haven't got it. And I got a call from Ollie while I was working. And he was like, hey, man, um, just to let you know, we've canceled all the other auditions. You're the guy. And I was like oh shit uh okay great you know where do i sign let's go kind of thing um and that was it really i mean it was a very quick process like a lot of raven eye things are it's very like clicky it'll just happen um but yeah i haven't really looked back since and it's just been it's just been up from there really but yeah that was in terms of learning the parts you know i try to learn as best I could, the record, the record parts that the drummer did. And there's a guy called Gunnar Olsen, who is a fucking great uh, session guy in the US who played on the record. And he's very technical, has great technique, plays with these really cool feels. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not that sort of guy. I just like flams and shit. Yeah. So uh, I kind of had to try and adapt. But now when I play those songs live, the guys are kind of just like, yeah, it's 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 almost your part now because you've kind of like earned earned it. Um, but yeah, for now, for this other band that I'm playing with called Taurus, they sent me their record, and I, my mindset now is like, right, learn exactly how those drum parts go. All you drummers, listen out for this because you'll get the gig if you do this shit. Learn it like the record, all the kick patterns, all the fills, and then add in your own shit because nine times out of ten. If you do a feel that isn't on the record or whatever, groove, kick pattern, they will call you up and go, hey, man, it's not like that. It's like this. And you've just got to like suck your belly in and go, right, okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. It is like that. Because the name of this podcast, Drum for the Song, it's yep. true. There's a reason why those parts are there. And I that, that was nailed into me the hard way. And I'm so grateful for that because now I'm just like, right, that, there's a reason why that kick pattern's like that. There's a reason why that feels there. Um, and being a three piece as you know, being one, it was like, cause yeah. it's there's three simple elements. Every person in that band has to be on it all the time. It can't just be like, man, eh, I'm just going to fucking half ass it. Like whatever. If you're in like six piece or seven piece, whatever, you know, it can kind of be filled out, but you know, all the, the power trios in the world, like the police and Nirvana and rush, every single person in that band was had to be on it. Like, it had to be. So that was a big learning curve, being in like four or five piece bands before that, kind of being in the back. I was almost brought to the front in a way because the stage setup was like drums in the middle. I wasn't even at the back. I was like in line with Ollie and Aaron. Uh, yeah. Especially so, like support slots when you're on a, yeah. on a stage. You're like, yeah, I know I've done that before. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're like sometimes even further in front compared yeah, to like the guitarist a, or whatever. Yeah, like there's not... <laughs> There's not a singer in front of you. So it's you and the crowd. So you've got to, 
that was weird getting used to, but you know, got used to it now. I'm attention seeking now. <laughs> you love it. You love it. Now that's cool, man. So what what this other project, Taurus, what kind of music is that? Um, it's kind of I would say the best description of it is like stoner rock, like you know, like Caius, kind of like like big fucking drums, big cymbals, big sludgy low tune guitars that kind of stand out of tune, but also are in tune. <laughs> Really, really old school Queens of the Stone Age, like autopilot kind of shit. Um, nice. So yeah, that's I, lo- a, that's I love all that stuff. I love all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Playing with Orange Goblin tomorrow, actually. So there you go. They're kind of one of the, I guess, yeah, right. big British stoner rock bands. I guess mm-hmm. that's the genre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I love all that. And it kind of lends itself well to the kind of blues rock stuff that you're playing in Raven on. So yeah, it's, fu- it's funny with you're saying blues rock like well I, now now i wouldn't i wouldn't describe raven eyes I, I mean i would i would describe it as blues rock because of ollie but i like the, if you hit i'll send you the new album but like the new record there's not really there's blues in it because we're all influenced by the blues but there's not any i don't know it's very in a good way just straight up kind of Audio slave Soundgarden riffs instead of like nice. I don't know. Okay, cool, man. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll have a listen to that because it's definitely going to be up my alley. I think. So, I think uh, so. Cool, man. Thanks. That's great. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, let's do a bit of drum nerdery now. Let's talk about oh. your 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 gear and your your endorsements. And I know we we use a few of the similar same brands and some not as well, which is normally the case. We can't yeah. all use the same brands, otherwise no brands would exist. <laughs> so yeah, so you, you've recently um, taken delivery of your brand new Mapex. Is it like yeah. a custom made kit, right? Is that right? Yeah, so it is obviously, and a lot of people can see it because we're just talking, but it's behind me here. Da, 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 da. It is a Saturn 5, like, it's called Saturn Evolution. So basically... It's from the Saturn range, which is kind of the top end of Mapex. Um, and it's a birch walnut blend shell. Um, cool. Sizes are 60, 26 by 16 kick drum, 14 by 10 racks on, 16 by 16 floor, 18 by 16 floor. Um, so big sizes. Uh and for Raven Eye and Taurus and all that, it just suits it really well. Like a 26 kick, a lot of people like look at you and go, like, why the fuck do you have that? Basically. But I've always played a 26, apart from like once in my life where I played a 24 for a bit. But I've always been used to playing big kick drums. So I've kind of got like a really fat right leg. Like I've always had like a heavy foot. So that 26, when I got it, I was really worried because it was 16 depth it was going to sound really boomy. I'm no joke. And I'm not just blowing smoke up Mapex's ass, but that does not sound like a 26 in the best way. Like I put it up on stage and in the studio and I haven't even used that much, but it sounds like a 26 with the meat and the kind of like the, the low end, but it's got like clickiness to it, which I was so like, I was like, Oh my God, thank God. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the birch and walnut. Cause I know birch is a lot, you know, puts out a lot more low end and an attack. Yeah, exactly. That's what my kit is birch as well. So, okay. And that was, cause you yeah, you, I think the birch is a nice combination of low and high frequencies. So it will hopefully give you that 
kind of yeah. click click and thud in one. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I got it, I was blown away. And the fi- the finish is kind of like a satin black, almost if you look at like a dining room table and you could see the wood grain, it's like that, but with a thin layer of black paint on, um, almost like yours. Sim- in a- similar to mine. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's got all the, all the, all the bells and whistles on it and I couldn't be happier. And we were talking about it for a long time and before the pandemic, it was meant to be delivered, but it got delayed blah, blah, blah. and, you know, we were going through all the specs and just like, what wood should it be and what sizes? And I just, I just went, right, let's just go big because I know if I get smaller sizes, I just won't be happy. So, and then colors, we were like, what should we do? Should we do chrome or should we do like, like a flat black or whatever? And I just went, okay, I think if I am going to be playing with different bands and, and Rave and I like a flat black with the wood grain would look great and just like no frills kind of, and it's got like brushed chrome hardware on it as well. So it's not like mirrored chrome. That's cool. Uh, so it's kind of a bit like gum metal. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, super stoked with it and I, I can't wait to use it more. Like I haven't really been able to use it on stage that much, but um, it's, yeah, it's an absolute beast and I can't thank Mapex enough for it. So, Thank you, Mapex. Yep, they're really cool. And I know you, you deal with Martin from Korg, right? With a lot of this stuff. Martin Potts himself. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we're a legend. Absolutely. Well, who, so, who are you? What do you deal I, with him? Paisty. Paisty, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, the, yeah. So, you, you're a Paisty artist as well, as well as myself. So, I, I think you use a bit more of a, variety than what i use do you have like a like a collection or do you have one set that you always use or you know what my my relationship with Pisces has been like back and forth back and forth because i started out with on on that kiss run i took out the they were new at the time the big beats yeah i got those great yeah so it was like i had like 24 21 massive fucking sizes 16 inch hats and stuff they were great love them but i found that i was kind of digging into them a bit so i couldn't really they weren't that loud of a symbol they, they were they're basically if anyone's listening it's like a mix between a 2002 which is peisty's kind of loudest range and then like a mix of their giant beat which is basically what john bonham used for years which is a lot more softer so it's kind of in the middle but i found that i was kind of you know ref- regret to say this but i was going through symbols a lot more of that with that line than there was other um symbols at peisty so i went right let me try out the 2002s and i haven't gone back from 2002s for like and i'm i, I think you're the same as well but yeah for, for like five years i haven't gone back i used the 900 series for a while and they're fucking great they're really cool because they're cheap and they sound wicked and i use the 15 inch heavy hi hats, which is like the best hi hats I've ever heard. Uh, 900 series. Nice. So, yeah, but 2002s. And then I just recently got some Rude symbols and I played Rude when I was back in this old band called Dead. And I had fucking Rudes everywhere because they were just a really heavy band. Uh, so I've got a 19 inch thin crash Rude and I got the best China symbol I've ever heard, which is the Rude 20 inch, no, like an, I think it's a Novo. I can't remember what it is. It's, I don't know. Wild, wild Crash. That's it. Wild China. Wild sorry. China. Ah, oh, cool. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Yeah, mm. man. I, 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 when I was a lot, when I was younger, I had a 19 inch rude thin crash with the exact symbol. And that was really nice. 
it did break in eventually, but um, yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah. The, the 2002 seemed really terrible. I, I kind of use the uh, power crashes now and, yeah, same. Um, and I've got the he- heavy 15 inch hi-hats, which I believe they don't make anymore. I think are they, I have, are like they the, the sound edge ones. N- no, they're non sound edge. Yeah. I know a guy called Chris Allen and he, he like raves about them and he's like, they, they don't make them anymore. And I'm like, well, I want some, I like, don't fucking make them. I was like, okay. But yeah. yeah, I had the 17 inch 2002 <laughs> Yeah, So I use them because I'm, like, I'm a massive Steve Jordan freak. So yeah. I was like, I want fucking 75. So I got some of them for the Raven Eye, the newest Raven Eye record or the upcoming one. And that they're all over it. And you can hear the chunkiness, but they're a bit too big for me. <laughs> yeah. I've, ne- I've never played anything bigger than a 15, even though I, yeah, I know, you know, I, I used to, big into the steve jordan the john mayer stuff and all that and i think it sounds wicked i've never tried anything bigger than 15 myself but i know these ones are the perfect sound for the music i'm playing in this band anyway so i and um i was very lucky to get them because it was when i was speaking to martin and i was like oh do they do a 15 they were like oh they don't they don't do them they're not currently in the range but i i think there was there's one pair left in stock in switzerland let me check I was like, oh, please, please oh, let it be. So he, he got back to me and said, yeah, there's there's one set there. I'll, I'll get them shipped over for you on, the, on our next order. Cool. So I had to wait a few months to get them, but it was worth it. And I, before that, I was using the 15-inch. No, I had a 14-inch pair. Sorry, 14-inch 2002 Sound Edge. Yeah. And they were great. Um, and they are amazing. And I've still got them in my like spares bag. And I did have a set of 15-inch Big Beats which yeah. are great, great as well. So I still use them in like different pro- projects and for recording and stuff. But oh man, those new ones are incredible. And yeah, Chris Allen, I've spoke to him a little bit on online. He seems mm-hmm. like a lovely chap, and he, he sent me some uh, videos to kind of help me out with bass drum pedal settings. If you're listening, Chris, thank you. All right. Yeah, he you know, I know he's he had the, he had the same pedal as me, the, the DW9000. I was like, oh, out of interest. I'm still trying to find fine tune the kind of settings. But nice job. I funny it's funny with bass pedals, tensions and stuff. Like I've had a, a nine thousand the extended footboard single pedal for years, like fucking I don't know how long, and I just haven't touched them. I got it out of the box, and I was like, ah, yeah, cool. But with double pedals, I use the Mapex Falcon, and I've been adjusting that for like the last year because mm. it's double pedals very different. I think like with a single, you can just be like, yeah, just whatever, but yeah, we, we, you've got to get that, you know. Absolutely. And I think the problem the problem is most people's, well, if you're right-footed, your left foot isn't as strong. And you have to compensate on the pedal settings for it. Normally, your technique on your left foot isn't going to be as good as your right foot if you've been playing single pedal all your life and stuff like that. And I think that's part of the difficulty. And yeah. I guess it depends on what kind of style you play, but... With the band I'm in, it's, lo- it's a lot of lots of bit like songs like that, and I'm doing that for you know quite a few bars or half a song or whatever. So I, mm-hmm. I wanted to try and be nice and balanced. I know my left foot isn't as strong as my right, and it's kind of. But then I've got songs where I'm playing like really fast kind of punk beats, and I need to find a weird balance where I can get a power for those yeah. slow double kicks, but still with my crappy technique, still achieve the kind of the double strokes on, on my right foot and stuff like that. And I, I've definitely improved that. Now I fiddled with this new pedal and it's been a few years to kind of find 
this place where I'm happy. I've gone through quite a few different pedals. Um, they've all been good in their own ways, but sometimes I've just never found that set in that works for me. Most people will probably say you need to practice more, which is probably true because I don't, I don't practice enough to be honest. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it is, you're always going to have a more dominant side. And, and, you know, if you do grow up just playing, sing, which a lot of people do single pedal stuff. Um, I didn't start playing double pedal until like two years ago. Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah. You know, that was a big learning curve because I just realized my left side is absolute crap, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had to, I had to just sit there and just go, right, get, it's just muscle memory. That's all it is. Because the thing is, it's like riding a bike. You, you know, you don't have to practice. You just need to get your muscles on the left side to kind of just match your right. Because, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing of practice. You just need to, almost like a workout workout you just need to just hammer it for a while and then go right now it's as strong as my as my right but yeah yeah. um a lot of people say a good way is to literally try and play you know a a bunch of your songs that you would with your right foot and try and play them all with just your left foot instead apparently that's a good exercise if you've got the hours to do that apparently that's really good to kind of build up the the independent side of it as well as well as the strength yeah sure I mean, I got, I got so used to, cause for years and years and years, I was like, I'm, n- I'm never going to need a double pedal because like, I can do really quick single shit. Um, and then I started joining bands that did require that kind of dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig stuff. And I was just like, well, I can't do that with one foot. But yeah. I was always, I always, you know, when, when there's little rundown in Raven, I, I very rarely use it and Taurus, I very rarely use it, but it's good to have, I think at the end of songs or, you know, if you want to put in some cool little accents it's always good to have i think and i never thought that years ago i was just like nah there's no point of having because it's basically cheating but it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a talent in itself i think it's, yeah it's necessary sometimes for certain types of music and stuff and i like to think of my left pedal as literally an emergency backup for if my beat just snaps on the right foot and i've got to finish a song I've, I've done this many times where i finish the end of the song play with, I, with either my left foot or I'll kind of try and reach my right foot around in front of my snare drum I've done that a few times in emergencies you know when you can't really just change a pedal mid song or if you don't have a tech or whatever but yeah you know I think it's it's a useful thing to have even on gigs where you don't need a double pedal as such just as an emergency I like having spares of everything I always have a spare double pedal a spare snare food pairs of sticks everywhere even though i don't drop sticks much but what sticks know, you? i use a um, brand called vincent oh, Vin- brand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they're, they're awesome man they're they're amazing um I, most of the listeners will probably know because i brag on about on, on about them quite a lot but um i use the, the standard five b's nothing kind of special but um i did a tour with the bastard sons i think they were like 75 minute set maybe 80 minute sets and i did 16 shows plus sound checks with the same pair no way they were kind of worn down at the end but yeah, they were diggable and then i kind of retired them and gave them to some little kid but um honestly like, amazing goes in yeah i'm not sure if you deserve these mate but yeah go on you, you have them they're pretty worried down well I, I get hounded after every gig and i'm like i can't give you these sticks because i'm doing uh, i'm doing an experiment and i was kind of like <laughs> I, I i was um I was like, 
a couple every couple of days on tour, I was putting them on my Instagram. Or this is how worn down they are. I just I was just interested because they kind of brag that they last longer than you know the other brands and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not the hardest hitter in the world, but you know, I give them, I lay into them, you know, yeah. decent decent amount. I like to say. And there's a lot of strokes in our songs because there's a, a lot of fast up tempo yeah. song beats and stuff. So, but yeah, they're you know, and I know a lot of guys that have tried them, and now I've stuck with them. And I think it's just because they're not like the top three mainstream brands. People, they get overlooked a lot or people just don't know they exist. There's an Australian drummer that I know very well called Jack Parks. If he's listening, he's a fucking great drummer. He plays Winston as well. Ah, cool. Um, and I know, yeah, he he's a hard hitter like me and yourself. And yeah, he's, he's said to me, just like, just check him out. I've yeah. never, I've never checked him out because I've always been happy with Vicfa. But like, it's weird with drumsticks because you might get like I've sort I'm sure you've had it. You might get a pair that will last for like fucking five shows, and then you'll get another pair that you'll like do one rim shot and they'll just explode. And yeah, like definitely. Okay, this this doesn't make any sense, but you know, sweat yeah swings and roundabouts. I mean, I use Vic Firth Extreme Five Bs, which are basically five Bs with a bit more length. Yeah, yeah, um, and I use a stick wrap and stuff when it when it gets sweaty but um cool yeah i mean i've been with vic for like four or five years um and yeah i haven't really had any issues like if they break they break they're gonna but, break eventually but, you know they- yeah i mean if they break whatever just give them like you said just give them to someone who would appreciate or whatever but like um yeah i i maybe i should or maybe I shouldn't have a look at Vincent, but you know, well, if you if we ever if I ever see you at a gig again, I'll give you a pair of mine oh, and you can yeah, you can try them out. out. Yeah, you can try them out, man, and whatever you know. If you're happy with your company, you know, there's no reason to try sorry, anything Vincent, else. I didn't mean. Yeah, I'm sure they won't listen. I don't think they'll be listening. You never um, know, mate. Martin Potts might fucking listen to all of this. Yeah, he, you never know. Uh, to be honest, the- I've I've never really hounded him about. About the podcast, I think I've mentioned it to him in passing. I will, I will now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> might, it'd be nice to get him on because I've, I've had one. I've had my Sona A and R guy on once, and that was a good episode because oh, yeah. it it's a different area of the industry. Um, you know, not particularly a dr- You know, he does play drums, but he's not a you know a professional drummer. But it's a completely different side that people don't get to hear about a lot. So yeah, I think Martin, if he's up for it, maybe one day it would be great. And because he, he deals with like obviously Vic Firth, Peisty, and yeah. Apex. Umbrella, yeah. I mean, I, I was just on a um and pianos. Uh, yeah, and pianos, yeah. <laughs> I was on a live stream with Mapex drums and he hosted it. And oh, cool. That was fun because he we just talked shit for an hour. But like, yeah, it it would be cool to get him on this actually. Yeah. I have I, I have a podcast on my own, which I don't really do a lot of now, but in lockdown I did, like everyone. Yeah, um, I think I think that's how I kind of first found oh, you stumbling i stumbled upon that or i stumbled on your account somehow yeah and i yeah i think and i noticed you were doing some something similar to what i was doing at the time and i was like oh this guy seems cool uh, okay <laughs> that's, that's how i started talking to chris and another guy called andrew scott and stuff so and that's all people i've met online through through the pound through the pandemic and stuff and you just go oh you know this person oh you know that person it, it's it's it you know it's all interconnected. It's so fucking incestuous, the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, actually, to plug that. So if anyone wants to kind of go and check out those episodes, 
Is it just YouTube or is it on podcast it's on, it's platforms? On yeah, it's on YouTube as well. It's on Spotify and everything. It's um, the Bree the Breeze Lair podcast. That's so the yeah, Breeze Lair podcast. There's a couple of episodes up, so um, yeah, go check it out. I I did you know I do really enjoy doing it, but it's just trying to find you know like you know yourself trying to find like those couple of hours in a day where you like can sit down and talk shit. Um, yeah. and, but, and and the rest of the- Everything else that goes with it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That this isn't the hard bit. This is the this is the fun part. This is the bit I, I actually look forward to. And then yeah. it's kind of the hours and hours sitting behind a laptop screen, editing, making artwork, and promoting and writing up. You know, I you know this is what I've got in. I've got into doing this now, so this is what it is. But like, it takes it takes so much time, man. But yeah, as long as people are listening, I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, yeah, and you know, hopefully, I'm getting more listeners every week. Hopefully. You know, fingers crossed. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. So we've talked about, um, yeah, I've seen you play. You're a very energetic drummer. Do you have any kind of warm-up routines or anything you do specifically before a gig or, you know, a rehearsal to keep yeah. you know, keep yourself from hurting yourself, basically? Well, funnily enough, at the end of that KISS tour, I never, I never really took my health like that seriously. I was always kind of just like drunk beer, eat, ate pizza, whatever. Um, and at the end of that kiss run, I started getting pain in my right shoulder, like really, like really bad. It was kind of like it was basically in like the in the socket in the late. It's called the labrum, which is right in the middle of the shoulder socket. Interesting. Anyway, so I so I came. I would be coming off stage, and I would just have to ice my arms because I just couldn't feel my right arm, and it was really freaking me out. And I, it was just like my it was fatiguing. I had to shake my hands out and shit. And I was like, right, I need to sort this out, and I need to go see a physio guy. So I went to a physio guy, and he basically said, right, you've got a tiny tear in your labrum, which is basically it's like in the like I just said in the middle of the shoulder socket where your the ball joint goes onto the onto the socket and there's that's where the, and apparently it's most common in like baseball players and American football players because they're always throwing they're always doing that sort of motion yeah makes um, sense so it's kind of repetitive injury uh so I was like shit well what what like what's the best course of action and he said well lucky you're at a stage where it's only a small tear so you won't need surgery but you'd have to go through physio um and from that from that point I basically just said, right, I'm going to improve my diet. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do physio every day. And I've been doing that. I've, I lost about like three or four stone, like over the last couple of years, just because I was just like, I want to, I want to make sure that I can do this, (laughs) you know, for as long as possible. Um, and like, you know, we both don't hit lightly Mm. and you've, you got to take care of yourself and i never thought about that i was always just like yeah i'm young i'm invincible i can but it doesn't matter if you're a fucking grave digger or you're a tiler or whatever and you're doing something repetitive all day you know something's gonna go and you've just got to make sure that you know you come out of that the the best way possible you know injury prevention in a way so yeah like warm-ups I'll do a lot of stretching now. I never used to do a lot of stretching. I very rarely do pad stuff. I do a lot of stretching. I've got like a band and I do like, you know, like chest stretches and stuff like that. And that really opens up my chest and my shoulders. Um, And then I'll just kind of, 
I'll do really slow warm-ups on a pad. So I'll just sit there and just do single hits, get the molar technique going and just kind of just sit there and then work up the speed is just about as I'm about to go on stage. Um, I know a lot of people will sit down and go, right, warm-ups, and fucking just like go for it. And it's like, that's not warming up. That's like your body just goes, what the fuck is going on? Like, that's not warming up. That's just, you know, killing yourself. But um, yeah. yeah, I take it easy. I just kind of relax, put on some music and just stretch and make sure that I'm like limber. So I, you know, I don't go in and go, Oh shit, this has gone like first song. Um, yeah. I got, I got this new throne recently and a lot of people take the piss out of it, but it's actually really helpful. It's the head spinal glide. I don't know if you've seen them, but it's got like, like the, the gap in the middle yeah, where you, yeah, yeah. for like where your balls would go kind of pretty much. Yeah. My balls <laughs> perfectly. No, but um, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So it's like, there's a hole in the middle, but apparently it helps your lower back lumbar support. Um, and for long gigs, I've used it and it's, I don't know if it's a placebo, but it really helps my, my making me sit upright. Cause I, I used to sit really low, like Dave Grohl. Cause I was like, I want to sit like Dave Grohl. And I'd mm. sit like on the floor, like Tommy Lee. And I'd watch videos of myself and I'd be like, like a lot of people can't see this, but I'd be like really hunched over, like fucking hunchback and Notre Dame. And I watch those videos now. And I'm like, yeah, no fucking wonder something went wrong. Um, because you see all your heroes like kill it like that. And you're just like, yeah, they must be amazing, but everyone's body's different. And, you know, I don't know, maybe Dave Grohl has the same shoulder issue. I don't know, but like things can go wrong. And that was kind of the one wake up call for me that I was just like, right, I need to do something because otherwise I'm not going to be able to do this, you know, for a long time. Yeah. So Yeah. Cool, man. I can totally. It's, it's, it sounds like a slightly different problem to what I had, but in the same right shoulder. Right. I, it's still, I still never solved the problem. I've been to physio and I've been to kind of a sports therapist yeah. person. I've been to a shoulder specialist, but I had to wait like 10 months to see her. And at the time, I, had, I wasn't really gigging much. So, like, there was no symptoms. So she was like, I can't really do anything. I'm like, Mike. I was like, oh, that was great. Thanks. Um, hey. Yeah, but I'm not, it was now I've been playing again recently. It's kind of been playing up a little bit. Um, it's more the, I, I think it's more the bicep tendons with the, the front oh, there. Okay. It kind yeah. of just flares up a lot. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, oh, yeah, I've been living with it for the last few years, but um, at one point it kind of just twanged. And uh, well, it tw- it's happened twice really, but um, once I had to cancel a tour and the rest, the, the second time was kind of like, this is just painful and I had to deal with it for a while, but yeah, right. it, it's all down to your posture. And like, I, I, I got, I, I don't have the best posture. I try and think about it when I'm playing. Um, I've got a decent throw now. I don't have that one. And that, that does sound good. There's a lot of science behind that. So there must be something, a reason for why people use that for that reason. But yeah, posture is a very important thing. And like, as rock drummers, we kind of want to entertain the crowd and rock out. And, you know, a lot, a lot, yeah. you know, I, I'm, you know, I kind of like do this with my head and all this stuff. And that's bad for my neck, which is bad for all these. You can't always think about, you can't always think about that shit. I get it. Like, yeah. but it, being aware of, that's why I always try and video myself every show. I'm like, I just want to make sure that I am sitting upright and I am, you know, doing the right things, but yeah, some, yeah, some shows you just go fucking mental and it, it does. Cause yeah, like 
<laughs> we're both players that you want to put on a show and yeah. your your body will adapt or it will suffer not not in a bad way but it's just it's a sacrifice we make man yeah right. man <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I totally agree and yeah but some people don't think about it like you said you never thought about it until you hurt yourself so exactly. this is a big warning really to anyone anyone that hasn't hurt themselves yet it might happen one day so do mm-hmm. your do your warms warming up and your stretching and and stuff like that yeah man definitely cool um right coming towards the end now um i'm gonna do my usual quick fire round if that's cool with you so 10 questions you've got to answer them as quickly as possible uh do you prefer hot or cold weather cold okay interesting daytime or nighttime nighttime is there a record for this by the way because i'm (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just so the listeners can get to know you a bit more man and Man, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I like I like it when people match my answers, but they okay. obviously don't. You get bonus points for matching all of my answers, I suppose. Okay, <laughs> Sweet or savory? Sweet, definitely. Guitar or bass? Guitar, bass, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nylon or wood tip sticks? Uh, wood. Cool. John Bonham or Neil Peart, Peart, whatever you want to say? Bonham. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Stones. Interesting. Clear or coated drum heads? Oh, I don't know. Uh, two for different reasons. I mean, I would say coated, but I like playing clear live. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, big or small venue? Big. You've established that, I think. <laughs> Favorite time signature to play? 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, cool, man. That's good, good, good. And um. Before we kind of finish Did this. Did I match all your answers? What's that, sorry? Did I match all your answers? No, no, no. For half, maybe. Half and half, maybe. Not bad, not bad. Um, <laughs> no one's ever had full marks yet, but it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, we talk about drums for an hour. Here's some other stuff. Um, I, feel, I feel like the, the Beatles one was the one that people were like, what? He said the fucking Stones over the Beatles? Yes, I grew up on the Rolling Stones and they're fucking kick-ass. So I was going to, yeah, that's inter- that is always actually interesting. I think it's to do with your up- upbringing more because yeah. I, I didn't get brought up on either. And right. I, I got into the Beatles in my like early 20s and I was like blown away. I was like, oh my God. And it was just this world of amazing music and songwriting and just, it just blew me away. I never really delved big into the stones, but I just feel like from what I've heard, this is less interesting stuff going on. So I just can't yeah. see me. I can't I, see me ever getting into it. You know, the, the, the last thing I'll say is I think with the Beatles, because a lot of British guys or whatever, you know, we have to, it's feel like you have to say the Beatles because they're the one of the most, and they are, they've inspired all the bands that I've, I, I grew up listening to. But the reason I would choose the Stones over the Beatles, I think it's more of a live standpoint for me, whereas like Mick Jagger and seeing those guys, over the Beatles, I'd rather see the Stones live than the Beatles because all of, like every everything about it is just a bit more up my street in terms of. I like listening with my eyes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's really interesting because he's a fantastic frontman, mm. and I guess the Beatles didn't really have that front person because no. it, it was kind of like shared to some degree, wasn't it? So, and they were all playing instruments, so. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, from a live point of view, 
and at the end of the day, the Stones are still doing it, which is amazing. So I've never seen them. I, I would definitely go and watch them. Um, I've just never seen them. But I wouldn't know many songs either. But I'd probably listen to a lot. If I, if I had a, a Rolling Stones ticket in, in a few months, I'd definitely go and listen to a load of their stuff. Or at least yeah. the, be- the best of Rolling Stones or something like that. Uh, oh man, that's cool, man. And just before we go, then um, a little bit of a plug, I suppose, as well. I've got a, I got a Patreon page uh, for anyone who's interested, and the top tier get to ask my guests questions. Um, we only kind of arranged this uh, interview like a couple of days ago, so apologies for that. Normally, you, I give you more, more notice, but I've got a couple of questions from one of my patrons, Paul Hutchins, who's a top guy. Awesome. Uh, I believe he saw you the other day at Steelhouse Festival as well, which is cool. Oh, cool. Cheers, Paul. You think he was there. So we've kind of we've kind of already talked about talked about this, but just in case there's anything else you wanted to add. Um and if not, fair enough. Don't add anything. Um, I'd be really interested to know about Adam's experiences from the KISS support slot a few years ago. And what did you and Rave and I learn from KISS? I know we did kind of You've kind of answered this already, but is there anything else you can think of? The main thing we learned from KISS themselves, watching them every night, was they, it was almost the same when we supported Aerosmith on a one-off show. And those bands, those legacy bands, I saw you know yourself, but it's like, they've been doing it for so long, but they're still so fucking tight. And it's, we, we the one thing we learned from KISS were, was just like, right, you just got to listen to everyone playing all your band members every night and just lock, just lock in and, and, and just play as much as you can. Cause that's how those bands get like that. And, and it's funny how people come into a situation and go, you have to be this tight already. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's a difference between being tight and then being tight. Like you have to, you have to play with that human being for a long time. And I think that's what we've learned is like, just learn everyone's personality behind their instrument and just know what they're going to do next. Cause all those guys fucking, you know, know that set like the back of their hand. So that was the main thing we learned and how to, how to like operate and kind of interact without those kind of big crowds and bring that to a smaller venue. That's, that's one of the biggest things we learned, I think. So yeah. Cheers, Paul. Good answer. Good answer. He's got two more questions for you though. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Best and worst festival you've played at? Best one is Steelhouse. Uh, no, <laughs> I was so bet. I would say best festival we've ever played at was. There was this festival. I think it was. I can't remember. It was I'm trying to look for a poster. It was in. I think it was in like Poland or somewhere, and it was like we were really low down on the bill. No one really knew who we were it was one of like the best shows we've ever played because everyone was just like, ah, I was going mental. So <laughs> that, that had like, uh, Oh my God, Evanescence on it and stuff like that. So that was a crazy festival. And it, I remember it being insanely hot. That was probably the best, the worst. I don't think we've ever, maybe when I was younger, there was probably some really shit ones. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't, re- I can't remember the names, but yeah, there was probably a, a few, few crap ones. Yeah, you don't want to diss any festivals, anyways. So no, I know yeah. what you mean. Ah, no, cool, man. That's cool. And um, again, you've you've already answered this in my questions. Sorry, Paul, you haven't kind of come up with many. Uh, 
Come on, Paul. Unique questions for me today. Um, sweat, sweaty club or large arena? Pretty sure you're going to say large arena. Can I have sweaty arena? I mean, like... Yeah, I yeah. Most arenas I go to are still sweaty yeah, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say I would say... I would say both for different reasons, but yeah, definitely large arena. Yeah, I I think I would I would be a different answer a couple of years ago. I think I'd be like, yeah, I like small clubs, but play when you actually get to do it and get to play those big stages, you're like, I want to do this all the time. Um, yeah. So yeah, and there's always so many more you can do that you haven't done and stuff like that. Like I, you know, definitely, and there is there is a different vibe. There's there is a unique vibe in a small sweaty club, I think. But from a player's perspective, it's logistically more difficult and stuff with gear and things like that and and being a drummer is in a small venue is a hassle yeah exactly so being on a big stage and having somewhere to store your cases and, and you know, the, the first the first thing that the guys say when you play a small venue is uh have you got any tape mate can you tape your cymbals because they're too fucking loud yeah when you play a large arena they're not going to say shit it's like I, mean, I need an overhead i need an overhead mic because i can't yeah. hear my cymbals. Yeah, um, <laughs> Defin- yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when when I was a lot younger and I played a place in Cardiff, and the sound engineer. I had like nice pasty cymbals, like I think they were nice signatures or whatever, pretty loud. And he was like, "Oh, um, Granny, yeah, literally, we got gaffer tape to tape your cymbals." And I was like, "What? Yeah, you're too loud." I'm like, "Well, I'm not even hitting them that hard." I'm like, "Yeah, too loud for the roommate." I'm like, "Sorry." Um, but yeah, you know, if you've got loads of money, yeah, you can buy different sets of symbols for different gigs. But not, you know, most most drummers have a set of symbols, and that's their symbol. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult. And if you're in a loud rock band, you've you've got to hit them hard, you know. So that's the annoying thing about it is like what you know, if someone says tape up your symbols and you spent like you know, yeah. fucking money, Gr- grand or whatever, like yeah, turn them, basically turn them into splashes, then it's like, well, no, like. I, I don't know. You've got, I understand you've got to compromise because of for the sound of the band, but yeah. At the same time, a lot of people will defend you and go, oh, hang on. It's got to be loud. For yeah. example, just imagine telling, you know, motorheads to do that. It's not like, it's just not, that's not what the vibe is. Yeah. And I the, get it, but, you know. I think, yeah, I think motorhead of, there's certain countries where they have like DB limits and stuff. You probably have experienced this. And I think they've struggled in some of those countries. Even we have. And like, like I feel like this is so much quieter than what we normally do, but it's because the sound engineer has to keep it below a certain level. And that's, that's such a pain for our genre. And, and it's just the, the laws of those countries. I think Switzerland is one. France mm-hmm. is, I think, is pretty played, strict. We played a show in Amsterdam. And I remember this really vividly because they had a D, this a guy who came in DB. He was like this, like, right, guys, okay. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I and you know, I hit my snare drum and and my snare drum alone set off the DB limit. And they were like, right, stop. Like, because some venues that DB limit cuts off the electricity if it goes above a certain thing. Wow. So wow. I, mean, I wasn't one of the venues, but that's you know, I don't know. In those situations, I just play really quietly at sound check. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work for the music. You know. Um, it's such a pain. It doesn't work for it doesn't work for the music. But yeah, cool. Yeah, DB limits. I'm glad we don't have them in the UK. Um, thank God. In the word in the words of ACDC, rock and roll is not noise pollution. Exactly. Exactly. 
right. you, they, they know what they're talking about. Right. And the end of the podcast now, um, if you could create your own dream band with yourself on drums, not including members of Raven Eye, yeah. but you can include any musician or singer, dead or alive, who would be in the band with you? Okay. Uh, Eddie Vetter, front man. Awesome. Uh, bass player, Pino. Nice, nice. Fellow Welshman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guitar, guitar player. I've got this mate, and he's going to love this. I've got this mate in America called Derek Day, and he's a fucking... I mean, he's a singer as well, but he's a great guitar player. Either Derek Day on guitar or... Wow. or um, You're going to have two guitarists. Oh, it's, it's gone from my head now. The fucking guitarist in The Who, Pete Townsend. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Townsend, yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, on Maybe on rhythm guitar. And then on bass, I've said Pino. So yeah. that's probably it. I mean, I, maybe maybe like a keyboard player as well like i don't know elton john or something but <laughs> <laughs> nice nice no, that's, 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 a, that's a cool band man and uh, i I, lo- I love asking that question and people you can kind of hear what people's influences are as well and then mm. um, yeah eddie surprisingly i think that was the first time eddie vedder came up which is crazy considering either the, yeah i mean either him or chris for now i think Oh, yeah, it's pretty difficult. I, so, someone asked me, and I had to kind of come up with mine. And my my lead singer was going to be Daniel Johns, who I know you're a fan of, because I yeah. saw your Silverchair video cover. Fuck, man, and he's he's incredible. That was I, I you know I only discovered Silverchair maybe a couple of years ago, and that wow. band is just blown. And and in terms of the history of them as well, and what he's gone through as a front, it's just incredible and I'm, I'm so so i'm so bummed that they're not around me i mean they are but not like well they're not not te- i don't know i don't know if they technically split up or what but they they definitely haven't released music or played a show for a long time no and, um, and i know he's got solo stuff out now which it is it's very good but it's not rock it's not. very like kind of electronic based um but the vocals on it is incredible so um a lot of people don't know who he is or the band unless they good shout. Yeah. Like yeah. It's good stuff. But um, yeah, cool. Um, thanks for taking the time for doing this. Um, if people want to follow you on like the social media things, where can they find you? You can find me on all social medias, uh at a drummer breeze. That's at a drummer breeze. And then my website is www.adrummerbreeze.com. Raven Eye's socials are at it's Raven Eye, and that's for everything. And then it's uh, RavenEyeOfficial.com for tour dates, tickets, merch, blah blah blah, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, you've got a tour coming up, right? As well, I just you're supporting yeah. Cheap Trick, I believe. Is there anything yeah. else? So we've got that booked, which is in so Cheap Trick. We're supporting them UK and Europe next year in February. We've got um, Ship Rock Cruise, which is in America in January which we've done a couple of times and that's awesome. Of you, nice. Um, and then we've got some shows in the works for next year and we've got some really cool stuff booked for the end of the year. Um, but yes, yeah, so we've got some show. I've got some shows coming up with uh, Taurus, which is with headlining the Crawford Arms and Milton Keynes on, I oh, fuck, I think it's the 13th or 14th of August, but you can buy tickets on their social media, which is at Taurus UK. 
Uh, and I'm doing, uh, funnily enough, I'm doing loads of Nirvana tribute shows as well. I've joined this, well, I mean, I, I've always been in it, but I've kind of been switched out between this other drummer. Uh, I'm in a Nirvana tribute band, which they do so, it's actually mental how well they do. Like, they're doing like 800, 600 cap venues. Jesus. Like, I don't, so I'm doing a couple of shows of them all over the UK this year as well, which is so fun to do that stuff because you can just like, I'm Dave Grohl for the night. It's fucking great. Um, What's the name of that tribute then? It's it's just Nirvana Tribute UK. That's Nirvana. All right, Nirvana Tribute UK. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, anything anything in Wales? Uh, maybe I can double check. Well, just like you know, if you're coming to Wales ever, let me know and uh, I'll try to come come and watch. I've actually started a similar project with a couple of mates we've only had two rehearsals but it's rather than it be it's not a nirvana cover band but it's a dave Grohl themed cover band so we do nirvana foo fighters uh you know a couple of queens of the stone age tracks tenacious d but we're very early on so yeah because he played on he played on a lot of that stuff but um yeah so like i've had two rehearsals so far you know there's a bit of jamming on on my instagram for anyone interested playing some Foo Fighters songs and stuff. But um, yeah, it'd just be nice to play. I've never really done the covers thing massively. I've never, I've always been in originals bands and I've done the odd cover gig on the side, but never kind of really had my own band properly, you know? So it's good fun. It's good fun. And it's just music I love and it just seems natural to play and learn. So yeah. So listeners, keep your eyes peeled for that. Go and see Adam in, in Nirvana tribute UK. Yeah. If, If he's playing nearby and go and say hello. And say so you right. listen to him on the podcast, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that's. I think that's it, really. So, yeah. thank you so much, so much for having me. It's been like I know you've had some amazing guests, and I'm honoured to be one of them. So, thank you, Dane. You're, um, you're amazing yourself, Adam. You're very good. You're very, uh, very talented, and uh, uh, yeah, you're a great personality, which which helps with you know this kind of thing. And you've got a cool set of t-shirt on. So, one of my goals is to somehow get Eloy Casagrande on one day but I don't know how good his English is I know I I think he's had the same issue because there was a I think I think it was Craig Reynolds podcast that he because he would try to try to get him on it and he said like I'm sorry like my English he doesn't feel comfortable with I think it's really good his English but he's probably not that confident but I I mean fuck dude I I, just a last quick note on Eloy Eloy Casagrande he (laughs) You know, he, I only discovered Sepultura, you know, maybe two years ago, almost the same time as Silverchair. And I was like, really like music, really like, um, I can't remember the original guy's name, Ivar, Ivar, I can't remember his name. I, I, Igor Cavalera. And I love his playing on like, on the on the first album. And then I, I discovered Eloy and I was like, I might as well just give up drums because this, this is like, he, he, I would say he's probably the best drummer in the world right now. I, I think I, I, especially, well, he just won the modern drummer, best metal drummer award. Yeah. So in, in terms of, but he's not just a metal drummer because he plays no, no. All, all this kind of Latin stuff. He hits and them he hard. Yeah. He incorporates it. So clever. Mm. And he's doing things that I, I can't even comprehend no. how, how he's doing them yet. Executing it with incredible force and volume and just making it look easy. What I like about Eloy <laughs> is that there's, there's a lot of metal players that will think about what they're playing, but you can tell with him, it's just, it's all feel. It's all just like, 
I don't think he even knows what he's playing. I mean, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he practices like so much, but he's he's in that moment and he just got he's just go you know he goes for it. And his consi- the consistency thing with him is the thing for me that I'm like wow. I'm yeah. like that is the consistency of, of of kick and snare hits and everything. I'm just like at that speed. Yeah. He is, yeah. It's, in, it's inhuman. It's inhuman for for most drummers who need to rely on certain techniques to achieve like that amount of strokes, but he still somehow does them with the, the most power you can even, I just don't know how he does it. And you know, it's, it's amazing. I got, I got to see him live side stage once we did a festival. Oh, wow. But what was in, what was embarrassing was I had to go on before him and he was watching me and I was oh, like oh. me just playing my, and he was probably like this guy's shit. But, um, I, you know, I, it was nice. I briefly met him. Um, I, you know, we Instagrammed each other and he replied to me in English saying, oh, you know, it was great to watch you. So, um, but there you go. Man, well, I watched him from side stage and obviously the, the, the volume of the acoustic kit was just overwhelming, you know, the PA and everything. Cause it was just ridiculous. What a legend and what a, what a legend. He's like, he just self mixes himself. Doesn't he though? Really in terms of, you know, he, he's not bashing the shit out of the hi-hat and he, he, he knows how to get a good sound without any microphones on him. And that when you put microphones on him, it's like, holy fucking shit. It sounds like a drum machine in the best way possible. But big up, big up, big up, Eloy Casagrande. Even if you ever listen to this, I'd, yeah, you know, I don't know. I doubt he will. He's too busy getting awards and Yeah, stuff. he's too busy being fucking great. So... <laughs> No, but cheers, Eloy, for the inspiration anyway. Um, it's great. Yeah, cheers, Adam. I'm going to end this now. Um, many thanks. And yeah, good luck with the future and hopefully see you on the road soon. Thanks, man. You too, mate. Cheers. And thanks for listening, everybody. Run for the Song Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, Please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too as it helps other people discover this show. Please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore drums or at drum for the song or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes, video calls with myself, competitions, discounts and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated, but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groove Master patrons, whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell, and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song! <laughs>